everyone, I'm Brian Elliott. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Brand. I'm excited for you to hear this next episode, but I have to apologize in advance for the poor audio quality. We basically had a technical difficulty, and when we got the audio files back to the lab to edit them, we realized that one of the files got corrupted, and so all we were left with was the scratch track. Uh, in, instead of just scrap, scrapping the whole project, we decided to include the scratch track as is. Hopefully we focused on the content and not the audio quality, but this one's pretty epic. Uh, I, th I think you're going to love it. Let's get into the episode. But first, some background. It's 5 a.m., and on any given weekday in Topanga Canyon, California, you can count on polymath Van Neistat being up and ready for his four-mile morning run. First half, uphill in the dark. The thing is... Van hates running. He quotes Mike Tyson as he grudgingly puts on his least favorite oversized maroon sweatpants, reflective vest, headband and headlamp, and darts out to a cold, dusty canyon trail. Discipline is doing something that you hate as if you love it. Yes, it sucks running, but you gotta do it anyway, just like brushing your teeth, he says. This pattern of doing what needs to be done and fixing what needs to be fixed is a theme in Neistat's daily existence. In fact, he admits he doesn't even understand why. That's just how he's hardwired. He is particular about everything, from his unique eyewear, channeling a cross between mad scientist and high school shop teacher, to the handmade belt and large brass buckle donning his name, there is a story behind it all. Every choice seems to be deliberate and thought through with careful consideration. Every box and container in his super cool man cave workspace where he writes stories on his circa 1930s Corona typewriter, similar to the one used by Ernest Hemingway, have a label. He is meticulous about the type of mechanical pencil he uses because after all, after testing all of them, he found the perfect weighted instrument with a quality of lead that doesn't break when he makes the daily to-do list. His pencil is hand etched with the date as are most other items he owns, so he doesn't lose the context about when he started using it. Don't get me started on his compulsion for post-it notes and don't call it OCD. Van Neistat might be obsessive about some things, but there's no disorder. He's creative to a fault. In my observation, Van in his own way isn't much different from the prolific problem solver and fixer Elon Musk. Hear me out. Musk is persistent. He's an observer. He's known for being frustrated with a problem and building a company around solving it. Think PayPal, Tesla, SolarCity, SpaceX, The Boring Company. All the result of Elon's pursuit to fix what in his mind is broken or should be improved. Neistat simply can't help giving a damn when he notices something should be improved upon or it needs to be repaired. This is the character type he calls the spirited man and woman in a new video series reminiscent of the early Neistat Brothers style and production that was purchased for $2 million by HBO about a decade ago. You'll enjoy this full range of conversation from A to Z as Van and I stroll down memory lane of his life and talk about his origin story. But I want to leave you with one last thing. What strikes me about Van's story is how much he is influenced by his early childhood. I might be wrong, but it seems like he is unconsciously living the life his adopted father Barry never got to live. That is, Barry had a modestly successful career in the restaurant supply business, but it wasn't his passion. He took what he thought was the safe route to provide for his family and create stability. What was Barry's true passion? He wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. He wanted to be Mr. Rogers. Van, I'm going to start this episode with the way I'd also like to end it 
the quote from the late, great Fred Rogers. You've made this day a special day by just your being you. There's no person in the world like you, and I like you just the way you are. Here we go with the spirited man, Van Neistat. I didn't know, we didn't have the masterclass stuff like we have now. We didn't have all these, all your heroes on the internet telling you what they went through, like we have now, like on YouTube, you can go watch Werner Herzog videos. You can watch, uh, you know, David Mann that you can watch David Lynch telling you, I did this, 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 and this. And you don't, I, I didn't know. My mentality, and I think maybe the mentality of my generation was that you are a gene, you are born a genius. And if so, all of this stuff happens or you have, you're this smart, and if so, this stuff happens, and it's all natural talent. I, I didn't know that, no, 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 no. These guys that you've heard of, they went and they were hopeless for 10 years, and then they, they developed technique in whatever thing they picked. Yeah. Some picked writing, some picked filmmaking, some became musicians. Hi, I'm Van Neistat. I'm a writer-director, and you're watching Behind the Brand with Brian Elliott. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, our friends at the Dot Store Domains, where you can get your own custom Dot Store domain to set up your own website to sell products or services. Think about your domain name, Dot Store. It instantly tells people your website is a store and lets your website and URL do the marketing for you. I tried it out myself and I'm loving it. I set up my own dot store with Behind the Brand. It's behindthebrand.store. And you can find some of my favorite books from best-selling authors who've also been on the show and give me a great deal to sell their books or sell a few copies of their books better than you get on Amazon. You can get your own dot store domain by going to my special link at bit.ly forward slash your custom store. That's http colon forward slash forward slash bit.ly forward slash your custom store. Just go to bit.ly forward slash your custom store and you can check it out. Now let's get into the episode. Hey everyone, I'm Brian Elliott. Welcome to another edition of Behind the Brand. Today I'm here with the incredible Van Neistat. Van, welcome to the show, but also thank you for your hospitality, inviting us out to your house. Yeah, welcome to Topanga. Thank you for coming. I usually ask my guests, how did you get this job? Okay, so it started in... Um, to the year 2000, and that was the year that the iMac DV came out, which was the first affordable um, computer that allowed you to edit video. It was $12.99, and I was on Apple, and iMacs are still $12.99 in 2021. <laughs> this is like the color unit. It looks like a yeah, toy. That's right. Like game changer. And it had that um, the Rolling Stones, she comes in colors everywhere. That was the camp, the ad campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it had a little um, FireWire port on the side that connected to a camera, and the computer connect uh, controlled the camera. And it came with iMovie, and you could import into the computer. And, you know, obviously we all do it every day today with our phones. But this iMac DV was... Um, a revolutionary thing and it was the next cheapest version for non-linear digital video editing i think was a forty thousand dollar avid rig yeah and there was no final cut pro there was no adobe premiere no it was avid or nothing basically. Our, our apple iMovie. yeah and um i took my tax return i bought that machine and then on ebay my i think the first e either, either the first or the second internet transaction i ever did 
I bought a um, $900 Sony TRV8 digital video camera, which took tons of research to like, I wanted mm -hmm. one with the LCD screen, which was also new technology. Mm -hmm. It had to be mini DV, which was also new technology. Yeah, I was gonna say, this was not like little VHS. This was the mini DVDs or the mini DVDs, they're, right? they're DV, they're tapes. Oh, they are but tapes. they're tiny little tapes this okay. big and they were 60 minutes long. All right, because I had a Sony that was a D little D mini DVD player. Yeah. Oh, I remember, I remember that one. Yeah. I remember that one. And so the project was, we had from 1985 until about 1991, we had VHS tapes that my mom had shot with a VHS camcorder. Yeah. But that, you know, that footage is unwatchable, <laughs> except for five seconds every hour or something. So the idea was I would digitize them all, which you could do with the Sonys. With the Sonys, you could go from VHS plug in analog and then convert it to digital. Yes. And um, the hard drive on the machine only hold, only held 10 minutes of footage. And so I would, uh, it was a Christmas present for my family. I, I went through all the tapes. It took months. It took from like May till November or something to, um, to digitize and edit like whatever, however many years it was, five or six years of VHS tapes. And that's how it started. And then after that, I had a camera, I had a computer, and I had New York City. I was living in, in um, Cobble Hill, Brooklyn, and riding my bicycle over the Brooklyn Bridge every morning to Manhattan, to Soho. And I'm from the country, so everything in New York was interesting to me. And the most interesting things were tiny, little, tiny things. Mm -hmm. And I just started, I, I never stopped till, you know, an hour before you got here, I haven't stopped making them. But how I got the job was, um, I was a, I went to college to be a professional writer, and I was an intern at Scholastic, at a, at a classroom magazine called Super Science that came out every month. And this one of my friends, his name's Joe Joe Torxon. He was, he lived in New York and he had been there a long time and he had all these friends from outside of the business, outside of Scholastic. And he brought this artist over named Tom Sachs because they had a really great cafeteria on the penthouse of Scholastic that overlooked the World Trade Center. Yeah. And so I would do the science experiments for this super science magazine and my desk would be covered with all this gadgetry. And Joe Torxon said, you got to meet my friend Tom Sachs. He makes art that goes in museums that's kind of like like homemade weird stuff. And I met him. And then the, the job came to an end. I was an unpaid intern. No, I was a paid intern at Scholastic. And then I, it was, I had done two years. I was only supposed to work there for six months. I had done two years. And my editor said, look, for legal reasons, you have to either work here and like you're, you're an associate producer, I'm sorry, an associate editor, and you have to be in the books and all this stuff, or you have to, you can't work here anymore. So I called, I talked to Joe Torson and he said, go work at Tom Sachs's studio. He's, he's doing a big project and he needs hands. And I went for like a 50% pay cut. I went and I cut little squares out of foam core building this big architectural model. And I brought my camera to school to, to his, to the, to the, um, warehouse where we were building this huge project called Nutsies. And one day I was measuring foam core to cut 
And I did the measurement on it with a tape measure and I put the tape measure back. I put the tape measure down. I, I drew my line. I was about to cut with my razor. And I noticed that on the 25 foot Stanley power lock tape measure, where it normally says power lock, it said Stanley and then blacked out and handwritten in tiny letters. It said Kubrick is dead. So it said Stanley. And I said, that is hilarious. Yeah. So I made a little movie about working in that space, which was very creepy. It was the old um, stables for the NYPD from like the 19th century. Mm. So the floors were all angled like this so that the manure would and the piss would float down and they could just shovel it out. Wow. So we were leveling everything. Everything was covered in grease. Um, your clothes were dirty. The, he loved it because all of the foam core got really dirty. It made it look old. Uh, and we were surrounded by industrial machines. So I shot a video of starting with the tape measure and then just doing dissolves from one sort of um, one little uh, tableau to the next. Yeah. And the soundtrack was the Berlioz opening music for The Shining That. And I took dialogue from, from uh, a VHS tape from The Shining of the guy hiring Jack Nicholson, and he's saying, and there's, there's one more thing I got to tell you about this hotel. The last guy who had your job chopped his wife and kids up with an axe and stacked them in the East Wing. <laughs> and that's like the end of the video, and then it's like, Nazis coming next year or whatever. And so I showed, I was on the clock. I wasn't supposed to be doing this job. It was like not even moonlighting. It was like I was on the clock making this video that I wasn't authorized to make. And I showed it to Tom Sachs and he was just like, okay, just, you, you're still a fabricator. You still have to build all this stuff, but just keep making these movies whenever you think of something. And then it took two years to build the project. And by the time we were done, we had 30 videos and he would over my shoulder be like, change this, make this, this is shorter, go really tight, get close up, da, da, da. And he helped me refine my, my technique, my filmmaking technique. He was directing. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. And then they... He had a show in New York, and then he had a show at the Guggenheim in Berlin. And all these videos played at the Guggenheim in Berlin, and they played in the New York show. And I, because I was the most, oh, sorry. <laughs> and I, because I was the most involved um, fabricator in the project, I was chosen to move to Berlin to work there and live there for four months. And that's when it, and that was probably my first paid gig. And then... After that, it was just hustle, 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 hustle. And eventually, with my brother Casey, we did this TV show called The Nice Brothers on HBO. And then it got a little easier to find work after. And I don't mean that facetiously. I mean, it got a little bit easier to get paid to do, to do this work. So cool. Subsequent to that. So let's go back in the chronology a little bit. Um, let's go back to young Van. Mm -hmm. I like to ask people what they wanted to be when they grow up. And I asked for context because I think, you know, a lot of people watch this show, well, they're all different ages, but the common thread is people are trying to find their passion, what they love to do, what they want to do for the rest of their lives, or at least, you know, for a period of time. So going back to young Van, what, did, what were you thinking about, you know, future career when you were younger? Um, I wanted to build things, like be an engineer, make things. Um, were you handy then? But I wasn't good enough. To, yes, that for, forever. From from day one, I was like that. And as a child, I would get in trouble for taking everything apart in the house. And also, I would get in trouble 
for taking apart my bicycles because I was unable to put them back together. And my dad wasn't that, he was, he was okay, but he wasn't that handy. Yeah. And um, what other things did you take apart in the house? The telephone, the old Bell, Bell telephones that were like indestructible. Yes. The, the, the dials. Yes. Yeah. yeah um, the old shell would come off, right? And the little, you could unscrew the, Oh, the, the receiver, and it was a two-piece mouthpiece. That's right. I remember that. You could take it both out. Yeah. And there was bells in there, and there were actual bells with a little hammer, and you could get in there and, and mess with it a little bit. And then there was this trick. I don't know if you remember this trick, but you got your standard cable with a box on top of the TV, which had a dial with like 40 channels on it. And channel like 17, 18, 19 was like HBO, Cinemax, blah, blah, blah. And there was this trick for a little while where you could take a three inch index card and bend three quarters of an inch of the end like this. So that it was like a little claw. And then you could shove it into the seam of the cable box and pull it back a little bit and move the blurry line that would obscure because you didn't, you hadn't paid for HBO. You could move that little line a little bit over and get (laughs) free HBO. I never figured that out. Oh, no, I didn't figure that out. But lots of little hacks like that. There was also in Thrasher magazine, or it might have been Skateboarding magazine, they would show these little fingerboards Mm -hmm. um, that these guys had made. And they didn't, I don't know that they showed how to make them. But um, I figured out that you could make them the way they make an actual skateboard, but instead of using seven ply maple you could use the cover of a notebook because it's sort of like cardstock Mm. and you do like three or four layers with glue in between and when it hardened it was pretty stiff yeah and then you smash apart a a a matchbox car take the wheels out make trucks out of more of that fake plywood yeah and glue it on and then you could go through the magazine and pick out your favorite skateboard which you could never afford your favorite skateboard graphics and yeah. razor them out and stick them. And then you'd have like a new Steve Caballero skateboard. That is so cool. And then you build little half pipes. That was one thing. Once one, when we were really little fourth grade, one of the things was to make <laughs> blow guns out of pens. You take the, the, the knob and the thing off of the pen and then you took uh, a needle or a pin, yeah. and you'd put like tape around it or spitball around it, yeah. and then you'd shoot it. Oh, and once my friend was over and I did it, and I inhaled the needle, and I never did it. I got so scared, I started crying. I was oh. like, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. <laughs> did you swallow it? Yes. Oh no. And that was that. that oh. I mean, that was for that gadget. But just anything we kind of wanted, but you couldn't really, you know, yes. we didn't have any jobs or money or anything. You just kind of improvise and make skim boards. Oh yeah. I got a moped when I was 13 because a, a neighbor was moving. And I said, I had my eyes on it. And I said, how much for a moped? And he said, 30 bucks. And this was, I was 13. So that's uh, 1988. Did it have like a pull starter? The whole it, You had to pedal backwards to start it. Okay. And then you pedaled forward to like ride it like a bicycle. Like no one does, no one's doing that. But um, uh, 30 bucks. And I had been saving up for a, a, a like generic Walkman because Sony Walkmans were a hundred bucks, but you could get like the whatever one for 30 bucks. And I had it all in a, um, in a, uh, uh, margarine jar, like in really small bills and coins. And I took the coins to the banks. I didn't want to look that amateur. And I got bills and I brought them like this huge stack and it was 30 bucks. I didn't think it was going to run. And then I got a kid named Chris Caldwell. He lived in that neighborhood. 
he was a lawn, he mowed lawns. He was probably 14. And he was like, I know how to get this started. Just pour, pour alcohol, rubbing alcohol in the gas tank. Wow. And that was probably, that's like one of the happiest moments of my life when that motor kicked on and it was just like, and I was 13 and I had a bike with a motor on it. Cause we lived in a place like this, tons of hills. Yeah. You could get to a place, but you, on your bicycle, but you really had to want it. I re- you're bringing back all the shenanigans that, that I used to do too. And I'm thinking I wanted a moped too, but you remember Bad News Bears? Like yes. the original Bad News yes. Bears? With Jody Foster? Yeah. Yes. And who was the kid that was like the too cool for school? Yes. I, and I remember this kid. Yes. He yes. rides yes. in on that. What was it? Like I a, think it was a, uh, a monkey, a Honda monkey or a Honda gorilla, like yeah. a mini bike. Yeah. It's a yeah. mini bike. Yeah. He comes in, it's like, yeah. he's like running all around. The, I was like, I want that right now. Like <laughs> That's what I want. And that's a beautiful machine. My friend Andy Spade had this store called, um, uh, called Jack Spade. And he had all the, he had beautiful props in the store and he had one that had like that bike in the, in the store. Yeah. So sweet. Good times. So you've already, you've always been a tinkerer. You've always been curious, taking things apart. Mm-hmm. You basically invented a tech deck or, you know, that phenomenon that happened. There was a wave of popularity of the mini decks. You yeah, 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 yeah. When they were, you could buy manufactured Yeah, ones. this was like maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. It was pretty popular. Yeah. So yep. ahead of your time. Yeah. Um, but I copied it and it wasn't my idea to begin with. But also, it makes me think of a brand named Volcom, which mm-hmm. is a surf skate snow brand. And Volcom's advertising in the 90s, late 90s, that was, that's what they were all about. They would cut out little things and they would paste it and like photocopy it into their ads. Mm. And it, it was so homegrown, grassroots. Mm. I mean, it reminds me a lot of your filmmaking technique now that it's just so like back to basics or grassroots or homegrown, like that whole, it's very nostalgic. So mm. I, just, I love that style. So you were thinking about a career in what though? Like you were good at taking things apart. You're curious, but like, were you thinking I'm going to be an engineer, a doctor, a, own a flower shop? Like, what were you thinking? So I met a boy named Sam when we were 11, we went to camp together and Sam was from like the fancy town across the river and Sam's mother was an intellectual. And his father was a psychiatrist. So this is like Eagleton and Pawnee. This yes, like, that's right. Eagleton. Yeah, he's from Eagleton. Yeah. Eagleton Heights. <laughs> and he and they had beautiful style. His father was the son of a Holocaust survivor. Okay. And they and they were his family was a very wealthy family in Germany. And then he said that his CEO of, he, he was like the Sam Walton of Germany. And he said okay. one day his CEO came into the office in a Nazi uniform and said, you got to get out, get your family and get out. Okay. And uh, they moved to whatever. And this is Sam. My friend was the grandson of this guy. And so they were a very sophisticated family. They were Ivy League people and they had tons of books and they had beautiful things, beautiful clothes and the people were all beautiful and they lived on the water. And that family taught me about the, like, I don't even, the, the profound, like, soul-changing power of reading books. Just okay. read books all the time. And 
I did that because I wanted to be cool for this family. I wanted to be like, cool. I wanted to go. I only saw them in the summers because he went to he went to boarding school and he went to a private school before that. I only saw them in the summers and I wanted to have books under my belt when I saw, oh, I read this over the years and then they would give me books. And then his family like took an interest in making sure that I went to college and like making sure I went, they like helped me with, you know, college essays and so forth. And that, and what was family like for you at that time? I mean, well, there were four kids and it was, we were the wild, you know, the opening of, um, of, uh, Caddyshack, the very opening and Danny's like getting ready for work. And it's just this house of mayhem. That was our house. And like, we were popular kids because our house was just crazy. Like my parents would go away on vacation and leave us. Like once they went away on vacation, they left my, me and my friend, this kid, Sam in charge of the house. They were gone. They were in like Massachusetts. And, uh, How old were you dressed my brother Casey up in, Casey and I said he was a famous YouTuber now. We dressed him up in a Never fur coat. <laughs> fur coat, fur hat, brought him to high school with us. Brought him to my high school, because at this point Sam had transferred to my high school. Okay. We brought him to my high school and we told everyone that he was my fr Sam's French cousin Henri. <laughs> so that's what the that's what the house is like. Typical just Gen X. On your own. Don't burn the house down. And figure it out. And that's yeah. what it was like. It was like, you know, self-sufficiency. That's awesome. And so the reading of books, knowledge is power sort of caught yep. on. So reading of books. And then my, my mind was like, okay, I want to do a job where I make a lot of money. And the, the jobs that make a lot of money, you have to go to college to go to the, to get those jobs. And then at the time there were writers that made a lot of money. Like now they don't like magazine writers could buy nice houses that now they can't. <laughs> but yeah. So what was it about making money? Was it, because you wanted job security, you wanted things, or you wanted what Sam had, like that kind of lifestyle? What was it? There, what was it about making money? What To me, that's like a ridiculous question. <laughs> well, crazy. But, you know, not everyone's <laughs> But what was it when you're 11 or 12? What is it about making money? Well, even like when you're in high school, maybe you were thinking like, okay, I got to get a job or I want to make a job. Yeah. That brings in the bacon. I think it was because I wanted to live... There was this town near our town called Mystic, Connecticut. And that's where they built, it's famous for building whaling ships. And they preserved that town for, it's the same way it is now as it was in the mid um, 19th century when they were building these whaling ships. And it was so beautiful. And in order to live there, you had to be, in my mind, rich, you had to be doctor okay. or lawyer in a small town, rich to live there. And I wanted to live in a very beautiful place like that. Just some, I don't know where it's from, just some aesthetic sensitivity that I had. Yeah. It was a means to an end. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, if I want a house in mystic, I have to be a, you know, a professional. Yeah. And I have to make a lot of money. Yeah. And, and so where did that take you? And so I went to the, I had terrible grades in high school. I had okay SAT scores. And then my junior and senior year, I had okay grades in high school. So I went to West Virginia University for two years and I was very miserable. It rained 29 days in March, my freshman year. <laughs> and so miserable there. And then I got like a really good GPA there because all I did was study. And so 
I was on the Dean's list and I went and I was really miserable one day and I went into the college and they, I went to the library and they had all these college books and it said top, it said like the top 25 or top 50 American universities. And it was like a book about them. So I got into William and Mary and I matriculated at William and Mary and I was way outgunned. I was not smart enough and I didn't work hard enough for those. Those kids were unbelievably smart, but I loved them. And there's still to this day that there are a lot of those people are my friends, guys and gals. And I met this, I guess, you know, back then they were girls, but I guess she was a woman. She was 20 years old or 21 years old. And I dated this girl and she was, um, her father was Norwegian. Her mother was American. And she had like grown up in Norway and America. And we were dating for about a year or something. And then the summer came and she said, let's go to Europe. We can visit my family in Norway and stay there for free. And um, so I wor- worked doubles. I was a dishwasher in, a, mm-hmm. at the, at a, in an industrial kitchen. And then I, I think I had another job too. Anyway, I worked as like a madman. I still have like bad elbows from pulling sheet trays out of <laughs> boiling hot water. And I saved like $3,000 and like you had to do, I mean, without the internet, it's so hard to convey all of the little technical things you had to do in order to do, to, to, to go on a European trip yeah. and figuring out hotels and like, what's my daily budget and everything's in a backpack. And I got a Eurail pass, a 30 day unlimited Eurail pass. And like we, and that was how I learned about foreign travel. And I got a sense of like what other how other people lived did you have a map all unfolded like on your floor and it was called the um the the one that people the famous one's called the rough guide and then there's the one i can't remember the name of it but it was this big and had like all the european countries Mm -hmm. and it would do like for a five dollar meal eight dollar meal not ten dollar meal fifteen dollar and that's just how we did it and you'd go and then some people would just tear out the countries that they weren't going to. Yeah, like a Zagat guide, right? Like a- some, I, can't, I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. But it was, um, but that's how you would do it. And that book was your lifeline. And the URL pass was just like, sure, let's go, let's go. And, you know, we did trains all over Europe. And that did something to me. That made me compatible with going to places that are, and I'm the Gen X. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nomad. That's our, that's our archetype. And um, so what did your parents say? Did they say, Van, you better get a real job. We're kind of concerned. Nope. They just said, nope. Anything that was, I mean, my dad would be like, you know, money is something you're going to need. And then my mom was, is very mystical. And you would say, woo woo is the, is what you would say. She fit her in around here really well. (laughs) Um, Progressive. And so, You know, it it wasn't like that then. It wasn't like, you know, the culture wasn't like it was now. You know, it it wasn't about, it wasn't, it just, or it was, but it wasn't as out in the open about making money and stuff. That was kind of like a vulgar thing to talk about. And so, but there was a path. I mean, and there was a path. I wanted to do something where I made a lot of money (laughs) and I wanted to do something that I knew because I knew work was... 10 hours a third of your life. Yeah. And then my dad didn't have that life. My dad sacrificed. My dad didn't do what he wanted to do. And he ran the family business. He was like the third generation running this family business. And it was rough on him. And he worked with his old man so that, you know, we could live. And what did he do? 
he sold restaurant supplies. He was a salesman and his dad owned the company. And then my dad sold that company to a bigger company. And then he was a salesman for that company. And then he eventually turned the building into a coffee shop. And that's what he's been doing. But he didn't quit his his job doing the salesman yeah. stuff. What did he want to do? Restaurant supply. What was his dream? He wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. But he couldn't afford it because he had four kids like you. <laughs> so, um, that's so, cool. And, and then a, a couple years went, I've had a lot of girlfriends, like long-term girlfriends. Yeah. And so I had another long-term girlfriend. And well, I was going to say, there, there was a path back then. And, you know, we're talking back in the day. Mm. The path was you go to school. Mm. Hopefully you go to the best college that you can get into. Mm-hmm. Or if you're like me, you go to a junior college because uh, you don't have the grades for a university. And you, you, you earn, I think about that movie, Rudy. That really resonates with me because I got turned down so many times at the junior college level to the big school. And then finally the big school let me in. Um, but there was a path. You, you go to school, mm-hmm. uh, you get your piece of paper, mm-hmm. you graduate, and you get a great job. And you stay there for 30 years. That was the path. But you were on a different path. You were I wasn't, a nomadic path. I wasn't like... I remember the kids in, in college talking about you go and you want to make money, you go work at Goldman Sachs. You want to do this or that, and you had to be really good at math and physics, and you had to be good at chemistry to get any of these jobs, to get any of those degrees, to do the business stuff. And it was like my I liked English and film. I mean, we had two film classes or something at William and Mary. I think I took both of them, and I took art history classes. And I wanted to be. I read all the Hunter Thompson books, and I was like, "Whoa, you can live like this." <laughs> And make money. And he had like a big, he had like a nice house and a like big farm okay. in Colorado. Pause. That explains everything. <laughs> yeah, he's the big first big influence. Oh, that explains it. Yeah. That explains it all. Yeah, okay. and he was a wild, crazy dude. But yeah. he also wrote really well. Yeah. He was a really good writer. Yeah. And then I got to New York and I hated fucking writing. I hated, I didn't hate writing, but I didn't know. We didn't have the masterclass stuff like we have now. We didn't have all these, all your heroes on the internet telling you what they went through. Like we have now, like on YouTube, you can go and watch Werner Herzog videos. You can watch, uh, you know, David Mamet. You can watch David Lynch telling you, I did this, 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 and this. And you don't, I, I didn't know. My mentality, and I think maybe the mentality of my generation, was that you are a gen- you are born a genius. And if so, all of this stuff happens. Or you have, you're this smart, and if so, this stuff happens, and it's all natural talent. I I didn't know that. No, 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 no. These guys that you've heard of, they went and they were hopeless for 10 years. And then they they developed technique in whatever thing they picked. Some picked writing, some picked filmmaking, some became musicians. You know, the Malcolm Glad books, well, books hadn't been written yet. Yeah. And I, I'm actually so glad to say that. And I want to make sure that the audience catches what you just talked about, because it's, it's very subtle if you miss it. But this idea of the overnight success is a complete myth. You know, oh, there is no such thing as an overnight success. Mm-hmm. All of the greats, mm-hmm. anyone who's worth talking about, mm-hmm. who's done anything that matters, has toiled and struggled just like everybody else. The difference is what? Some start younger. That's the difference. Mozart started at three years old. 
Okay. Okay. He was a genius at 12 and whatever. He had 10 years in and he had those 10 years. He had those young 10 years when your brain is like really, really good. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I, you know, and then I think the real breakthrough was I got that camera and it was this, you know, I knew when I was in Scholastic and I was going into a cubicle, even though I was in Soho and riding my bicycle over the Brooklyn Bridge every day and riding over the Brooklyn Bridge at home every night, going to these crazy parties. I knew that I wasn't going to be sitting in a cubicle writing these articles. Like, wait, writers? What about the typewriters and the view of, of the Mediterranean and, 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 you know, and the suitcase full of paper and all that stuff? Like, yeah. no, I'm just going to be sitting at a, at a, at a, a generation three I, um, Macintosh. Cause the iMac hadn't been invented yet. Right, right, right. And, uh, and so, you know, there's that. That all the stories have that, like, I went this way and I went all I could this way and it was not the right path. Right. And so then, you know, I, I got the camera. I built this little rig that went on my handlebars with like sponge material mm-hmm. to uh, observe the, to absorb the, the camera's weight. And then I, during rush hour, I rode my bicycle through the Holland Tunnel. It was gridlock traffic. And I, it was like a 90 or 47 minute delay through the Holland Tunnel. And I got through in five minutes. And um, I was like, well, there's something to this. There's something to these videos and you can put them on the internet. And they, you know, it took an hour to download. It was like three megabytes. Yeah. Also, uh, let's demarcate this a little bit. Before, this is before GoPro had the GoPro mount. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is before, I mean, so in many ways, let's give credit where it's due. I mean, you're a visionary. You're sort of a pioneer. You're someone we were talking off camera it's a little bit like they've got qualities of an Elon Musk or a Steve Jobs. I mean, we're talking about Van Neistat. That's fine. But like you see things that other people don't see or you are frustrated and angry at things that don't work. And then you find a solution to fix it. That's true. But I, I would say that I'm not an Elon Musk or any of those guys. I would say that just the resources were available to a new level of income with with these technologies with like the the iMac and the camera technologies because there was this film I don't know if you've seen it you probably have it's magnificent and it's called The Rendezvous and I'll just tell you how they made it and you'll you'll understand what it's about I haven't seen it okay the camera is mounted to the bumper of like whatever the fastest Mercedes was at the time this is probably 1967 okay so like whatever the S500 or whatever of the day yeah uh, they mounted a 35 millimeter camera low, like this high off of the ground to the bumper. And they raced top speed at sunrise, so maybe 6 a.m., from the Hippodrome in, in Paris to Sacre Coeur. Just, they had one real, they had one real, they had 11 minutes to do it. And he's just racing through the streets, cobblestone. And the sound they used was from a, a Ferrari. Okay. And he winds up uh, uh, Montmartre and he gets to the steps of the Sacre Coeur. You see, you know, it's the car's park, and you see him walk out, and there's a woman waiting for him, and he walks up and he kisses her, and the film runs out of the fucking camera. If he had gotten a light or stopped or blah, 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 the thing would have, thing, and that, and so I'm not, that guy did it with film camera, but he had resources that would, I wouldn't, I couldn't get the Mercedes, I couldn't get the rig that you'd have to build, yeah. I couldn't get the camera, I couldn't get the film, I couldn't pay for the processing. So it just, I think it moved. Werner Herzog stole his first camera. He took a film class, 
they had these cameras. He just took the, he just, he's like, I'll do more with this than this school will do. <laughs> so I don't know. I think I'm part of a, um, I'm just part of a, a tradition maybe. Yeah. And luckily for us, these things now, they're in your phone and homeless people, and I'm not exaggerating, have the technology now yeah. to make this stuff. Yeah. But I was early in doing the video stuff because even though they have it, nobody used that iMovie thing on their iMac. Nobody went and bought a $900 video camera. <laughs> no one did that. <laughs> so my brother, the opening episode of the Neistat Brothers, this is probably his finest thing. He made this video and the producers at, at HBO said, okay, we need an inch. You need to set the tone. You just have all these little videos. You need to kind of frame it up for us. And he did this video about Jack and the Beanstalk. And he's like, we bought the fucking beans, man. <laughs> and that's really, that's the, yeah, that's the turning point for this kind of world for this is like the, for the, I would say entrepreneurial, but it's other worlds too. It's where you're doing these, like, because you have to be so tolerant of uncertainty. You have to be so tolerant of failure. You have to be so tolerant of being broke and living broke. That's it. That's the whole, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've thought about this a great deal, but I don't know why some people stay with it. I don't, I don't know. I love it. Um, talk to me about the spirited man. Talk about, you know, where you are right now. Okay. So it's hard to like do linear though. This came from here and then I had this and this and this and this, but that project I had, I, so I did the HBO show with my brother, the woman who acquired that HBO show, she left HBO and then we, and we didn't get a, a second season. And Casey went off and did his thing. And I wanted to do something. I wanted to do like cinema. I wanted to do something writing centric. This is like 2010. Yeah, this is 2010. Yeah. So I moved here. I moved to Los Angeles from New York. Okay, I made a pilot a that no one's ever seen. Um, but I have chopped camera. little bits of that. You've gotten a light, stop, or blah, blah, blah. Man thing episodes. Okay. Thing. And, then, um, and so. It was I don't know, that guy it. did it with and film the, camera, the concept but he had resources that we, I couldn't get the Mercedes, I couldn't get the rig that you'd have to build, I couldn't, I couldn't get the camera, I couldn't get the film, I couldn't get the processing. So it just, I think it moved. I, what happened was I was like at the height of drugs, and like I was smoking pot from morning to night, and then in the middle of the night, I don't know, I think I'm part of a, I'm just part of a tradition and it was like fucking great us, and I loved it and I was in it and I wasn't like your phone, I am now I was this maniac but technology now yeah I, I, I went kind of crazy. but I was and so early in and doing also, the video stuff because even and though so, had, nobody used that I, I got sober in 2012 nobody went and bought a and nine it was like hundred dollar traumatic video head camera. injury like sobriety is like work like you are this kind of person my brother and then the opening you get sober and you are this kind of person. This and then this kind of person, you have to learn thing. why being this, this kind of person and 
is not the producers the, is not going to get HBO you where okay, you should be going. And, and it's more than just all these little videos. It's like you need to learning frame it up. Learning what your mentality was and why did you leverage drugs instead of leveraging something else or and what did you learn about yourself? That's really that's the escape. Were you numbing? Yeah. That's no, the turn it was point a tool for this to kind of work done because world. it is unbelievably hard for, for the. I, I would say entrepreneurial, like, but it's other we make these too, things where you're doing things that we show on the screen are very beautiful, and the lies we show on the screen are very beautiful. intolerant of failure. You have to be so tolerant. I don't know. Maybe some of us aren't broke. That's it. That's the whole. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It was a tool for me to work really, really fucking. I don't know why. And I and I leveraged it, and then it didn't work after a while. I don't. And so that's what happened to that pilot. It was just too. It was off. Yeah. It wasn't precise. It wasn't. It wasn't dialed. And then I got sober, and that was my project for like. Talk okay, about so that's two thousand right now. Okay, twelve. So I got sober. It's hard to like. And then sobriety was my project for the next and nine this years. And this and this and then I'm that project and going slow. I had down. So I did the HBO. God bless Tom Sachs. My brother took me back, and he got me real money to do stuff. HBO show. Not real rich man money, but like good fees to do collaborations with Nike or with Herland. Casey went on to pay for these trips, and we. I wanted to do something. I wanted to like do these long projects. I wanted to do something writing centric. Yeah, this is more like. Yeah, this is 2010. Branded. So I moved here. Branded content moved to is what they call New York. Storytelling. And Tom I started. I tried to make with Nike, and so we would do a, a television movies that made a pilot that were about his studio, and then all this the the the. The no one, I made a pilot the, the that no one's ever seen. Yeah, like an um, integration. But I have chopped I learned the, like, that pilot and put them in. I learned the sort of the episodes. Um, the um, evolved it was filmmaking technique. And what the, of, like, the concept why, there's of a it reason why that Hollywood Mr. system that makes adult. incredibly adults. well the best the made movies in the Mr. world. Rogers for adults. There's a reason why they have and a set technique that they go by, and one of the things you do is you get that height of screenplay. You have that plan. And dialed in hot before you start shooting and morning. one of the things and I've learned is that the shooting I, is when the weed would wear off I would by far the easiest I'd have to smoke pot shooting is almost effortless and it was like especially when the cameras I loved right it and I was my in, son is two and a half years old I am now I was he has shot footage that I could use but but people think when they get these machines and they have this unbelievable power that they've seen Spielberg use and they've seen whoever used I got sober they in 2012. They think, oh, I can get a set. I can do like what Spielberg does. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like you can do the easiest like part, work, and like you can't you even do it that. You can't do it like spend Nyquist. You get sober, and you are this kind so of person. So I spent and those this years. Kind of you have to learn. This is all unconscious. Why I know that I'm this doing kind this. I'm trying to get by and da, da, da. I spent not those years really. It's not going to get you where you should be going. Yeah, and it's more than just like trying to get drugs. It's like Tarkovsky sculpting in time. It's learning what your mentality was. He's like, you don't want to leverage anything once the cameras instead are Instead of leveraging you know exactly something what you're doing. else. You're executing your you plan. Don't stray. Was it an escape? And then I listened to that guy, um, no, William Freak. It was a tool to get the work done because it is unbelievably hard. Maybe interview with him. And he said, I think you look at these, like, we make these things shooting things that we show on the screen are very beautiful. Those scenes that are under elevated trains where... But um, uh, uh, 
Royal Tenenbaum. I don't know. Maybe it's some name. of us yeah. aren't. Uh, Gene Hackman is you know, racing one of those seventies death boxes, uh, not wearing a seatbelt yeah. for me okay. to work really, really um, fucking hard. Racing, yeah. chasing and I, another and I car, it, crashes and it didn't and work stuff. after a while. And he's like, "Oh no, no, so that's what happened to that pilot. It was we would just pay cops to close off the intersection. We didn't have permits for that or anything." And then he also said, "And then I got sober, and that was my project." He said, "It's all one take." He said, "The only." Time I would shoot well, a second tape as if a piece of equipment, a filmmaking equipment was visible. Project for but the, the light fell in. He said, "If the light fell into the into the shot, and I slow and slowing down, and I worked." God bless Tom Sachs. He also made the action. Got me real money. And I thought, okay, well, if that can be done, not real rich money, but like good fees to do collaborations with Nike or with and they would pay kids trips, and we'd go. I have six hundred hours of footage for this documentary. Long projects. No, no. I said we're filmmakers. Yeah, but they were more like. And then he turns around and says, "In that movie, the abyss." Little mini movie. He said, "You see that kid?" Tom did Nike shoes with Nike, so we would do. Movies that he's about to get um, were about his death penalty. studio, and then all this. The, the, he's like, that's almost the, real time. It's like I shot. That's like forty minutes. It was like forty-five minutes of like shooting. Yeah, but I learned so, the like. It's all surgical. I, took I learned this, sort of I took the, this sloppy digital um, thing that I've been doing for a while. Filmmaking and technique. It had become a why. There's a reason why that project has become like a incredibly well manifestation of my craziness and my disorganized. There's a reason why they have the fury and the mania that they go by. I want to get through that stuff. It's scary mania. And I tried to refine it down to something still in before you start shooting. That is something more premeditated. And now I'm writing, and the fury mania is in the writing. Shooting is almost very hard, especially with the cameras right now. And my son is two and a half years old. I've shot the cameras, and then he has shot footage. And the edit is. But and people think and so when they get these machines this, and they have this unbelievable power that they've seen Spielberg I showed it to people and, and they all said whoever fundamental used. notes. And it was they like, think, okay, oh, so I can get a I can do I what Spielberg does. And it's like, no, 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 um, no, no. I got a studio you can do in the, the I moved easiest back part to New York. And you I can't even do it that in LA from 2010 to 2013. I moved back to New so York City. So I spent those I years studio in the Bronx. And this is all I'm kind of shared. I don't know that I'm doing this. I'm trying to get by and da da da. I spent those years really. Um, did my my friend Andy Spade, who was married to Kate Spade, they built Kate Spade together. He's very strict. And, um, he's like, you don't. You're not from advertising. The cameras and he's you know exactly very, what you're doing. Like you're executing. And your he plan. would have me don't do. Stray. He would hire me and then I to, listened do to do that guy, little William and my and my cohorts, Josh Safdie and Ben Safdie. He hired to do little projects for. He was talking about uh, shooting do, the French I do a little advertising for okay, him. And those scenes he that are doing, elevated I did a project with, where, two projects with um, Tori Birch. Uh, uh, um, Tori Birch, the woman for name? the company. Uh, Tori uh, Birch. Gene Hackman yeah, is um, racing one of those hustle, 70s death boxes, hustle. not wearing and, a seatbelt. Yeah. Okay? I don't know. I mean, um, racing, chasing still, another oh, car with crashes and stuff. I got a job. He's like, oh, no, no, we shot those gorilla. We were just doing cops to close off the intersection, and we didn't have permits for that or anything. At VidCon. And then he also said... He said, oh, I didn't do that I had to make and it he dropped. Said, it's all one job. He said, the only direct. time I would and, shoot uh, the second tape is if a piece of equipment that you were going to be there. Now, if a light fell in, okay. if I could get my brother to be in the booth for Twitter, and I came over and said, this guy's a master. And it was just a, I think he also made this steel that okay, well, if that can be done, I want it done. That's what I want. And the crank. Because the thing about shooting is, 
like her car says, you know, he has top that has slid open, and, say, and then there were three brushes. I have a model says, of it. I'll show it to you. You can do it for for He said we're filmmakers, not garbage. And it had three brushes. And then he turns around and says, two brushes. Three chambers that you could put. He said, you see that kid leaves in talking cereal and little toys, Super Bowls, and then they shot it super slow motion. So we had all these influencers like, sit there and like do something like, funny about that. That's like forty. That man over like there, forty-five. BC uh, slaves would. Yes. And so Crank this it's thing. I took and this. I took like, this sloppy this digital thing that I had been would doing come, for a while. A wave of like had, a Super Bowl. It had become a wave of spiders. You know that Ice Brothers project had become like a with that manifestation of my craziness. I had enough money to pay my New York rent. Also. My studio in New York, mania. Like my apartment. That's how you could get through that stuff. It's very mania. And then and I tried to refine it down to something. It's still now my my um, TW two hundred dirt bike more premeditated rack on the back. I'm writing, and the fury mania is in the writing. And in, in the writing, four you go very hard, like, and blah 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 blah. Four months leading and up to my then you have your shot list, and then I just concentrated on surfing. I surf every day. I hate surfing. I hate the water. I hate being wet. We can fix it. Things. I surf every day because I, I, I was like, this is my opportunity to get good at this thing. They all had fundamental notes. I was like, okay, so this um, is my thing. But I just went it was to work wonderful living down there. I loved it. It was like a little um, community. I got a studio. And I all the people out back to New York. Water, and I, I was writing every day. I moved back to New York City. I got a studio in the Bronx that I shared. Shop class at Soulcraft. And he talks about how when a... He, he says, you know, my, my um, friend, you bring your car to the mechanics and they plug it into a machine and they can't explain to you what's wrong together. with it. It's all computer and, readouts um, and stuff. And Andy he says, was but the spirit of man wants to know he's why his car isn't like working. And, and then he, he went and did like a do, couple more paragraphs about the spirit of man. And my cohorts, Josh Safdie and Ben Safdie, he hired to do little projects for. Yeah. And I made in 2016, I made an episode. I do and the lab the, um, for him. The one and about New York, and I do it. I did a snowing, and I'm like, to hell with this town, to hell with the fort. Tordberg was the woman, more the company, Tordberg. Yeah. And, um, and that was an experiment. Just hustled, I just sat hustled, on that. Hustled. And, but the idea and didn't go away. And then I COVID, know, I was supposed I mean, to make a film. I, mean, I was supposed to make a feature oh, no, film that I wrote last year. I got a job. And I had... Um, all the machinery was doing Canada, And I had producers and the money. At VidCon for Twitter. And just the window was shut to make and I had one episode and I said fabricate and you were locked in your house and uh and then did it hurt that you were a nice dad you know still now that didn't hurt okay I get my brother who's paying me in the hour for Twitter and he's a studio manual and it was just I was supposed to go to the Olympics and in steel band you couldn't see in the camera and then it had a crank on it and the crank opened this for like sort of um Top and that slid but I was open. able to grind out a few hours a day doing brushes. these spirited man episodes. You. You can do it for, for and I think it yeah. became this okay. manifestation three brushes of Mr. Three, Rogers for Adults. And that was my first ever that, that was my ambition. I was like, um, this man leaves is in. gone from our Candy lives. Candy and cereal and little toys. Super Bowl. And they shot in super slow motion. So we had all these influencers sit there and he was a good thing. He was a force for good. That man over there. And it was a show about working crank this and thing I'm sorry and then it was this, a like, show first about this wave of cereal would emotions. come and a wave of like and uh, super balls would come and then a wave of work. spiders it just looked yeah. like his house but it was and all a set with that money and, that I got paid um, for that I don't know I don't know how it happened it just I had this one episode I had that phrase the spirited man and then I just said well what what do you want to talk about and it, I don't know it's just stuff I would come up with on my run yeah 
And it was just, and I think about it. And I heard Norm Macdonald talk about what his jokes were. And he's like, the jokes are just things that I obsess about. And then I write the joke about it. The subject of the joke is something that I'm obsessed about. Like the point spread in football games or something. <laughs> and then I do the joke and I don't think about it anymore. It's like the last step of the process of that thing. And I think I was also, I was reading a lot of books. I was reading a lot. And there were, and, 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 you know, ju- I, in 2016, I tried to, I, I did, I replaced the ABS pump in my motorcycle. And it was like, you had to tear that thing apart to get that thing. It's like the heart that was buried in there. And Why I Why do they do that anyway? I mean, we were talking off camera. I was trying to change the, yes. the bulb in, in my front headlights. And it's like, you have to have a, a little kid's hand to get in there and get the other thing in there. And, and yet... Those Formula One cars, which take five people to start and are the most sophisticated cars in the world, they come into those pit stops. Red Bull can change all four tires in 1.7 seconds, and they can do like crazy stuff in like 10 seconds. Yeah. I, because of the, I, it's all done because of compliance with safety and because of um, shipping and uh, uh, design and, and supply. It's all done in the name of, I think profitability and God bless them. They got to stay alive. But the race stuff is done to be made like race. When you take like my bike now is like, yeah, it's, 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 it's more serviceable. So anyway, it's a very laborious job. Yeah. Started listening to podcasts, started listening to, I think like Joe Rogan and Mark Marin was the first one I started listening to quality. And I listened to him all the time. And then I started listening to Joe Rogan and then I listened to hit Joe Rogan's guests. And he had all these like intellectuals. He had college professors. He had these, and then in your feed, in your because of the algorithm, those people's things would come. Yeah. And it was this. It was like it was like college, but like that. But every class was that best professor in the college that you could only take his course once. Yeah. But there's like a hundred of those guys. Yeah. And like, and I, to this day, today, this morning on my run, listening to well, okay, I was listening to Theo Vaughn, but. <laughs> He's like, he's one of those guys in his own way, but yeah, uh, it got me really thinking in the 2008 financial crisis really, really made me want to know what the hell is going on. What's really happening? What's going on? Yeah. What's going on and what's going to happen? Yeah. Because this is crazy. This yeah. is craziness. Were you surprised by the success of your Kickstarter campaign? Um, you know how people are like, never in my life. Okay. So you have some person who like makes like a 20 season series of like some incredibly imaginative of a thing and they're like never in my wildest dreams that i really in your wild you, you couldn't come up with being rich and famous but you came up with this 50 hour storyline yeah so i was not i was i was extremely in extreme gratitude for it and very 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 happy but you weren't surprised but i wasn't i was you expected i, it. I wanted to make like more right yeah, yeah. but um why didn't you set the bar higher then? Uh, your goal is like 30 Because right? you don't get the money unless you meet your thing. And I had to set it at a level where um, I could I could do what I'm promising in the campaign yeah. with the with just like what's the minimum amount of money. And then the the rest of Kickstarter, if you look, they're like the ones that get funded, it's like, I'm doing an eight episode series about Formula One racing. I'll be with the drivers, and then they're like 2100 bucks. Right. Like, really? You're going to deliver all that? And I was asking for $67,000. Yeah. 
to do like five YouTube or six YouTube videos. Yeah. But luckily I got double that because yeah. that's what I really needed because yeah. I deduct this and you got to do taxes and you got to pay to fulfill all the rewards, which is expensive. Yeah. But I was, um, well, there's a whole, I was relieved. I was relieved because that was it. I was fucked. If I didn't get that money, I was fucked. And it just went through today. And it, it just, the wire transfer was initiated today. So, you know, whatever, I don't have it in my bank account yet, but like, I, I, you know, I was like mortgage, life, all that stuff. It was all hinging on this thing being successful. And it's just six movies, you know, at that time, it's just six movies on my hard drive. And I haven't had a, you know, I haven't had an independent thing. I haven't done anything independently that's paid bills or whatever. It's all been working with Tom Sachs, doing Nike stuff. And this is just my intent. But my brother making that video and pulling, you know, my brother made this seven minute or something video about sort of my biography and his relationship with me professionally. And that steered so many people to my work. Did you ask him to do it? I didn't. I called him the night before um, I was going to launch the video, the, the Kickstarter video. And I said, look, I, what was I, what did I ask him? I said, look, I'm doing this thing. I'm wondering, could you post something on one of your things? Yeah, just let people know. Yeah, to let people know. And he was just like, and then he just started asking all these questions. Yeah. And I hadn't talked to him about business and I've never, not, not since Nice That Brothers. I haven't talked to him about so a decade. stuff. Yeah, so a decade. Yeah. And meanwhile, he is, he is an expert. He's, he is one of, he might be the number one expert at YouTube. He might be the most yeah. knowledgeable person at, about like what to do because yeah, there are guys with more followers and all that stuff, but not, he's the first one. I mean, he's the OG. That's he's the OG. Think about He's the, the OG. Yeah. And so he just started and he, it was incredible. So he said, you're house doing it wrong. Synced. He, how succinct he was. What were you doing this? wrong? What are you trying to do? What, da, 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 da. And well, fundamentally what I was doing wrong, I didn't know, for instance, that the gold standard of social media, um, I can never remember the word. It's something like interaction. Engagement? Engagement. The gold standard of social media engagement is the YouTube subscription. I didn't know that. I didn't know that's what I was trying to do. Yeah. He's like, what do you want as subscribers? You want as many subscribers? Because subs. And then he said, thumbnails. Yeah. Thumbnail and title. He said, those are absolutely vital. More important that he's like the thumbnail and title, more important than the video. Yeah. Just t- tons of little things like that. Yeah. Tons of little things. And then he said, fundamentally, he said, everything's got to pop off at once. He's like, what's your plan? I was like, Kickstarter, I make the money. Then I release at a regular interval, like one a week video and then attract, you know, with, I didn't really know, you yeah. know, attract money. <laughs> this is like a month ago. I'm making this up. Was like, oh, yeah. I was like, you know, I think I figured get brand deals and sponsor deals like I've been doing for the last 10 years. Yeah. And then that'll just keep the thing going when the Kickstarter money runs he out. Says no. And he was like, no, no, no. And then he just had finite things. He's like, it's this, it's this, it's this. You do this. Don't do this. This is not important. This is vital. What was one of those? Don't do this. Um, He told you you needed a trailer, probably. Yeah, he said, I needed a channel trailer. He said, uh, I don't remember what one of the don't do this was. Um, But then, you know, it's not that world, that that aspect of the thing of like getting an audience, essentially, is what you're doing. Building an audience is not intuitive. It is nothing like making the thing. 
making the thing that 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 a lot of people connect with, right? And like a lot of people love and embrace. That is to me I can do that with with my instincts. I can do that. I know how to do that. Oh, I'm sorry I keep touching. You're okay, okay. So making the thing and touch and and connecting with people with the the video, the thing. I can do that. Yeah. But I can't I don't know. I don't have an instinct for the the the, I guess it's marketing. I guess that's what you'd call well, it's it. It's the other levers, right? It's mm. like you talked about thumbnails being important and title mm. and maybe even the strategy of it all, which is instead of launching it in chronology or sequentially, Casey's advice was, no, brother, you got to have it all in place because when you go, it's all got to hit. There's got to be continuity. You one shot. You, have one you got one shot. Yeah. yeah. And he also said two videos a week. Now, I have been making one video a month. Sometimes it would take more than a month because I only had an hour a day because I had to do, I had, for COVID, my boy didn't have childcare. And then uh, I was doing um, freelance projects. So I had about an hour a day to do the Kickstarter, which took me five months, and to do the, the, the videos, which took almost a year. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was my, I, I didn't know what my pace was. And I thought, okay. Wait, wait, wait. wait. How long does does one of those Spirit of Man videos take you? How long did it take you to make? Okay, that's a great question. The one where uh, the, the it's called... It, it seems like you're using sort of archival footage. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. But like, okay, walk me through. Okay, so obviously it depends. But the one calling, the one that's titled Why Comedians Are the Most Important Artists of Our Age. Yeah. Where I hand type out all of Kurt Vonnegut's Breakfast of Champions and then mount it. Okay, that part of the video, eight hours a day, took three months. Okay, that's not making the video. And then to make the video, and I put this in the Kickstarter. I was like, that thing took it. I was like, I know I'm asking for a lot of money. This actually happened. All this stuff is like analog. You know, I'm not just like... This was assembled by... Yes, and so... That part took three months, and then to make the video probably took a few weeks. Because remember, I only got an hour a day, which you can't do anything in an hour. Oh my gosh! However, I did a movie yesterday, yeah, which is um, called Running, and the YouTube. So you get to write. I have a title within the movie, within the videos, and that's the theme. And then the YouTube title, which is another title, that's the YouTube title. And so I think the YouTube title for this one is going to be called. Does running suck? Are you picking the titles? Yes. Do you have any help or input on that? No. Okay. But why? Are you offering your services? No, no. I was just curious if, like, if you have. I wish. I mean, yeah, everyone I know. Everyone I know, I'm like. You know, is Casey Wayne, like, that's a sucky title. He does does do that. He says, that's a great. I, I did, like, there. my friend was nominated for an Oscar, so I did a video about that, and I went for the most goofy um, thumbnail where I'm like, yeah. With a fake Oscar in my hand. Yeah. And she was like, that was a great thumbnail, man. That was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he does weigh in with that. But like, he hasn't been complimentary about the titles, I don't think. Okay. Um, but his like, st- he's like, he's like, look at Mr. Beast. Look at Mr. Beast. His are so good. Yeah. And they are. They're so simple. And it's like Mr. Beast with an interesting expression. Yeah. A really cool, int- like yeah. a compelling um, prop. Yeah. No, there's a formula. There's a whole formula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to like reverse engineer that. And it's like my, all my artistic instruction is like, no, just call your own voice and people will catch on to that. So, all right. So that one took 
haven't that long. But the running one, yeah, we started yesterday and it's done. Okay, and that's a nine. That's just as long. It's nine okay. minutes long. Okay. It's a it's a theme movie. It has a because I have the theme movies and then I have the movies that are like fix it movies. Yeah, and those are short. I can do those in one day. Yeah, one long day. But I've been keeping up with the two videos a week. Okay. I've been keeping up with it. Van, I could talk to you for another six hours easily. Let's wrap this up with a little bit of advice. Let's go to camera. Okay. Let's let's connect right now. Let's engage. Okay. And give some parting advice okay. to current or future creators mm. and creatives, people who want to tell stories. What is your advice about making their art? Okay. This is the advice that Tom Sachs gave to me. Work hard and be brave. Work hard and be brave. <laughs> um, more advice? Oh, advice is so, so, so tricky because it's so tricky. Read. That's what Werner Herzog says. Read, 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 read books. Read books that are printed on paper that you carry around with you in a, in a backpack and before you go to bed and while you're in the bathroom and while you're on the subway, read. Um, I don't know, I need advice. I don't know, I need advice. But, um, want my, want my oh, and another on? thing is, um, you know when the doctor says this isn't gonna hurt and then he puts the thing in your arm or somebody says this is gonna be easy. No, 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 it's really easy. You just go up, you take a right on Fernwood, you take a left on Saddle Peak Road, then you go down Tuna Canyon. It's one way, but stay on the right. It's extremely difficult. If you're trying to start from scratch, it's extremely difficult and you can't get your project done in less than 10 years, I'm sorry, unless you go so insane. And if you're one of those people, you don't need my advice. But I'd say it's 10 year. it's a 10 year, project, whatever you're going to do. It's a ten, it was 10 years ago that I did HBO. It was 11 years ago. And this will be 10 years before it's like at a level where I don't know. <laughs> it's I don't know what, but cowards don't fail. They don't because they don't try anything. I mean, we were just sitting back, you know, <laughs> chopping it up, reminiscing about the good old days and all that, <laughs> you know, tracking my roots where I came from. And where I'm going. But like I say, man, always said it. It's not about the destination. It's all about the journey. Ain't nothing changed but the weather. The dangling carrot that hang from the rear view. Your dreams in the past ain't nowhere near you.